Welcome to Heart of Worship Church Podcast. Please take a moment to subscribe either through iTunes or the RSS feed located on the podcast page at heartofworshipchurch.com. All right, tonight's lesson is God as King. For unbelievers, you know, we, we see this parallel of Egypt as sin and Pharaoh as the devil and It took a a situation for it to get very, very desperate for the Israelites to start crying out for deliverance, for that deliverer. You know, and we all know those people, like we were talking about, that you you pray for, and and they're lost, and they're in sin, but they just don't seem to want that help. They're just not desperate enough. Sometimes it takes that horde taskmaster, that Pharaoh, to make them desperate enough. But... We came to that point where we were desperate enough and we cried out and God delivered us. And you came out of Egypt and then you go into a wilderness trying to get to that promise. But the wilderness is also designed to strip away our independence and teach us to be dependent on God. Because the thing about Egypt, the Israelites had become very dependent but they were dependent on Pharaoh. They were dependent on taskmasters. They were dependent on men, and they were dependent on the devil. But they were not dependent on God. And in fact, all the way back to uh, Nimrod, there was this intentional effort to make people dependent on these evil leaders so that they could be separated from God. Because if you're dependent on God... Nobody can can overtake you because you're listening to God. You're following God. God is going to keep you on the straight and narrow. He's going to show you how to outsmart your enemies. Because, um, as I had mentioned in the man of this week, about the Bible literally says that the serpent was the most cunning of all God's creatures. The devil is the smartest creature that God ever created. So he's going to always outsmart you. But when you're dependent on God, God's wisdom is greater. So he can tell you how to walk around those snares, how to avoid those traps, how to get to the destination the quickest way and the best way. God's way is perfect and every other way is inferior. Every other way is really a trap of the enemy because the enemy is very cunning. But when we begin to lose our dependence on God and become dependent on ourselves, on others, on men, on programs, on governments, on anything. It's removing your fear of God by removing your dependence on God. That was a tactic started by Nimrod, which was the first archetype for the Antichrist. So the Antichrist system always moves in that. You begin to become entrapped. And it almost conditions you away from that dependence. You are like almost ingrained to always try everything else. You know, it kind of goes back to the idea of, you know, when people are sick, the last thing they want to do is pray for a healing. You're going to try the doctor. You're going to try the medicine. You're going to try natural medicines. You're going to try the chiropractor. You're going to try, you know, mysticism. You're going to try anything. The last thing people want to try is prayer when really prayer should have been the first thing. We almost want to be dependent on anything but God. But we all go through wilderness seasons and they're designed to strip away our independence and teach us to be dependent again on God. 
to let him totally rule your heart, thoughts, and actions. We had went over this before. Go to Exodus 19.3. Originally and initially, God's plan was to have Israel be a national priesthood, a nation of priests. He wanted them to all be priests that could then go out and bring truth and liberation to the rest of the world who were all heathenistic at the time, serving these other gods, serving these demon gods. And so God wanted to liberate the world. God's goal has always been to set the captive children free. So he wanted to create, when he took the Israelites out of Egypt, he gave them a promise and he said that if you will obey my voice, if you will let me rule you, if you will trust my wisdom, if you will just do what I tell you to, then I will make you a nation of rulers, a nation of priests that will then go out and liberate others and set the captive free. Uh, go to Exodus 19.3 and we'll see. It says, And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. So he's showing them, look, there's nothing that I can't do and I can do it miraculously. I can do it through miracles. You need to trust me. Now, therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto all the children of Israel. So he was saying, if you just listen to me, let me rule you. I will be the king and you will all be my priest. There won't be any hierarchy. There won't be any king ruling over you. There won't be any domineering you. There won't be any that you have to serve other than me. You'll all be priests and I'll use you to go out and liberate the world. Well, they would not listen to his voice. They wouldn't do what he said. They wouldn't let him rule them. They wouldn't submit to his will over their own. They wouldn't trust him. They wouldn't have faith in him and in what he said. They trusted themselves more. So he wasn't able to use them. So instead, he alters the plan. He creates the Levites, one family that he could trust, to have a priesthood to try to stay the nation until Christ comes and through Christ, through the blood of Jesus, we become that peculiar priesthood that we all become priests, Christ being our high priest. We all become part of the family of God, kings and priests that we can then now go out, set the captive free, liberate others, bring them to the kingdom of God. So God still got his way, but it took a couple of hundred years to get there because they wouldn't obey his voice. And you'll see that eventually God is going to always get his way because he's smarter than us. And this is kind of where issues come up between people who believe in the, like, the absolute sovereignty of God, that God's will will play out, and those who believe that, but we all have free will. When in actuality it's both right. God is sovereign and he's going to get his way. His part is not in question, but your part is. Because those original Israelites were supposed to be that peculiar priesthood, but they chose their own will, so that kicked them out of God's will. They were no longer part of that, so their part in it was done away with it, and it went to another. That's how come the Gentiles 
we're brought into it. So yes, God does have a plan. God does have a will. And ultimately, he will get his way. But you don't have to be part of it. You choose to be obedient to his will so that you can walk your role out of it. Because if not, then you do forfeit your part. It's like saying God will receive the praise. The question is, do you want to be substituted for a rock? Very good. That's right. Right. The Bible says that if no one will praise God, then the rocks will cry out. So God will get praise. But the choice is yours. It can be you. But if you refuse, it'll be a rock or somebody else. Which is, to me, always been a very sobering thought that your gift, your calling, your place, your purpose, your mantle can be passed on to somebody else if you aren't willing to play your part. That's what happened to Esau. He gave up his birthright. It was his birthright. He was predestined to that. It was God's plan for his life, but he chose to give it up to feed the flesh. So we look at this. Ultimately, what God was wanting to create here was a national priesthood where he would be king and everybody would come to him because priests minister to God. They speak to God directly. They minister to God. They would come to him and get their orders and their direction, but they wouldn't listen to his voice. So that didn't work. So then by the time they've gone around the mountain a bunch, a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of times because they refused to listen to his voice and trust his words and do what he said, and they've gone around the mountain in the wilderness. Eventually, they finally come into the promised land. And then God begins to set up the judges. Initially, there was no king in Israel because God was king in Israel. In all the other nations, you had kings that were men. You had kings that were Nephilim and Raphaim and these, these things from the Old Testament. You had these uh, false gods, these demigods. You had these demon-worshipping and, and devil-worshipping and Baal-worshipping uh, cultures. In Israel, they were supposed to have God as king, but God would bring a judge, which was a deliverer. It's, it's estimated that uh, if you could have walked the distance from Egypt to Canaan in two weeks had they just listened to God. But because they kept trying to do it their own way, they kept getting lost in the wilderness. And I, I love how through Scripture, God was always calling them. He would say, you rebellious and stiff-necked people. It was because they unbelief. I don't know how many times, because of unbelief, especially in right. Hebrews, uh, Hebrews oh, yeah. because of unbelief, because of unbelief. Because it says like three or four times within the same chapter. Right. And what is unbelief? Not believing what he's right. saying. Because here's the thing. Stiff-necked, he kept saying, you rebellious and stiff-necked people. If you are riding a horse and you know the river is straight ahead and this horse is thirsty and I need to get it to the river and you are trying to drive it straight ahead, but the horse wants to go a different direction. And so you try to turn him on course. You try to drive him in a certain direction. When a horse doesn't want to go the direction that you're trying to steer it, it stiffens its neck because where you turn the head is where the horse goes. It stiffens its neck. It will not go. That's what he meant when he said you stiff-necked people. It was like a horse or a mule that he was trying to steer in a certain direction and they were fighting him on it. They were going the other direction. So what do you do with a horse that wants, if you want to go right and the horse insists on going left and he's locking his neck, well, you just let him go left. And then you take him all the way around in a circle till he's back in the same direction. And then you try to make him go right again. And if he's still locking his neck, you do it again. Usually after the second, third, fourth spin, 
he'll give up and start going the way that you want him to. Well, this is why they went in circles in the wilderness for 40 years. Because they were rebellious and stiff-necked people, they kept going the opposite direction. They kept wanting to do it their way. They kept trusting in their own strength. They kept trusting in their own ideas, in their own logic. They would not submit to God's will. And the truth is, is that we all do this. We go through this, and this is the process that God takes everybody through. And those that refuse to come to terms with the reality that your way does not work, and then surrender to God's will and go his way, they will eventually die in the wilderness. That's the people that fall away. Or they'll go back to Egypt, which is what a lot of them wanted to do, which is a person returning to their sin. But if we will just surrender and submit and say, okay, God, I trust, I know, I've seen what you have done, you are smarter, you are wiser, you see more, you know more, tell me what to do. Stop, seek, pray, listen, obey. Then you'll get there. And the sad thing is, could have got there in two weeks instead of 40 years. A lot of us end up going in ruts, getting caught in ruts in our life, going in circles and patterns because of this same issue. You'll see this in a church, the people that you're, you know, you're praying for, you're interceding for, and it's like they're in, they're out, they're in, they're out, they're in, they're out. It's because they keep doing it their own way. They won't trust God. And like Jacob said, it's because of unbelief, the scripture says. They still believed that God existed. They still believed that God was real. They still called themselves God's people, but they weren't believing what he was saying, what he was telling them. And so just professing to be a Christian or just believing that God is real doesn't matter if you're not doing what God has said to do. When, when the Bible says straight is the way and narrow is the gate that leadeth to life and few are they that find it, you want to know how few? That's how few. About 2 million people left Egypt for the promised land. And of that original 2 million, only 2 actually made it in because all of the rest lost their way or died in the wilderness because they refused to just trust God. Just believe. Seek Him. Trust Him. Listen to His words. Do what He says. Does it matter how impossible He's God? Is anything too hard for our God? So they get the promised land and God institutes the judges. And God is still trying to be king over these people. He institutes the judges, and what happens is initially there isn't really supposed to even be anybody leading. He is supposed to be leading. They are supposed to all function as priests. But because everybody does what is right in his own eyes, they create a God of their own making, they do what they think God should do or do what they think God would want them to do, they don't do what God says to do, they keep getting into trouble. So God would raise up a deliverer, and these deliverers came in the forms of judges. So through the book of Judges, you had these chieftains, basically is what they were, um, kind of like tribal leaders who God raised up to be deliverers among the people because these were people who were hearing the voice of God, telling the people, this is what God says to do. They would do it. They would get saved. They would get back on track, and then they would start to fall away again. So you see this cycle throughout the book of Judges come forth. And the cycle of Israel is a cycle of self-will. You will see this in nations even to this day. You will see this in individuals even to this day. And this is the way the cycle went. God would tell them what to do. They would trust more in what they thought was right. And they would do what they thought was right more than what God was telling them to do. God gives them instructions. They're like, mm, I think it'll work better if I do this. 
kind of like Eli. Eli was one of the judges because we just went through that story. God kept telling him, do this, but he wouldn't obey it. Well, I think it'll work out okay if I just never works out okay. Do what God says to do. So God would tell them what to do, but then they would decide to trust more in what they think made sense to do. Then they would end up suffering the consequences of their own actions. See, this kind of plays into the whole intercessor thing because for the most part, there are instances where God's wrath is literally God is coming down to enact wrath. But for the most part, the wrath of God is simply a removal of his favor. It's a removal of his protection. So whenever the Bible is talking about the intercessor standing between a man and the wrath of God, it's not really saying okay, that God is this bad guy and I'm going to stand in between and you can't touch him unless you get to me. What it's really saying is that God's hedge of protection has been removed. So wrath is coming upon this person. And so you're really standing between them and between judgment that is coming on them. The Bible gives the example of a vineyard who God has put forth every effort to bring forth grapes. It says he's built towers. He's put the best people over it, tending to it. He's taken all the rocks out. He's plucked all of the thorns out. And he's planted the best seeds. And, and he's, he's hired these, these men to work it. And it's the Bible says, what more, and it's in the book of Jeremiah, this example is given, what more could I have done to this vineyard? It says, but when you should have brought forth grapes, you brought forth poison grapes. So what else can I do? I will take the hedge down, the wall down, the hedge of protection, and I will let the enemy rush in and level it and destroy it, and I'll let the beast of the field eat it. I'll let it go down to nothing, and I'll start over from scratch. That's God's wrath. It's a removal of his protection. It's when the walls come down. It's when the hedge comes down. And this happened to Israel over and over and over again, and this happens to us over and over and over again, whenever we don't listen to what God is saying and we try to do it our own way, he takes his hands off of it and the consequences of our own decisions begin to play out. So the consequences of their decisions would play out. They would lose God's favor. They would lose his protection. The hedge of protection would be down. The enemy would come in and they would end up falling victim to their enemies. They would end up oppressed. Once things got bad enough and they were living in the consequences of their own decisions, of their self-will, then they would get desperate and cry out to God. So God would raise up a deliverer, a judge. The judge would hear from God. He would bring God's answer to the people. They would obey it. They would see a great deliverance. Praise the Lord. They would get back on track. They would listen to God for maybe a little season, usually not even. God would fix all of their messes, get everything back on track. Then they would stop letting God rule them. They would start doing what they thought was right again. They would start doing it their own way, and the cycle would start all over, and it would continue. God had shown, we, we go through these things. The quicker you learn this lesson, the faster God can progress you and use you, and the more miracles you're going to see. And this is the way God showed me years ago. God has a plan. It's his will. He will give you instructions. He will tell you what to do. And this is what we usually do. It goes something like this. 
God's helping me. God's telling me what to do. I know the destination. I know what he wants to do. Praise the Lord. He's given me a little vision of the end. Man, it's going a little bit slow. Let me help him. Oh, his hands are off. You put your hands in, he takes his hands off. Because once you put your hands in, it's no longer his will. It's your will. He's not touching it anymore. So he takes his hands off the wheel. You drive it for a little while. You wreck it. You get it all messed up. You cry out, God, I, I really messed this up. Please help me fix this. Get it back on track. He comes in. He gets it back on track. He helps you. We start listening to him. We start moving. We get really excited. And then all of a sudden, it's like, okay, God, I know what to do. Let me help. And then we help and we wreck it again. We get it all messed up. And then we step back and we cry, wow, God, I really totally messed that up. Even in the salvation of one person, like when you're interceding for somebody, you can see this cycle play out. That sometimes we interject ourselves and cause more trouble than what we're actually, if we would just stop, sit, pray, listen, and obey. Until we get to that point where we learn to be that, that I hate to say it, but that good dog that sits and waits until we get an order. And then when you get the order, obey it. Don't add to it. Just do it. Come back. Wait. Get your order. This is what God is trying to teach us how to do. He's trying to teach us how to lay down self-will to be able to follow his because you can't mix it. Everybody wants God as Savior, but very few want God as King. God wants to be King. Yes, everybody cries out, God save me, when they're desperate. He wants someone who will let him be King when they're not desperate. Someone he can rule all the time. Someone that will obey and be a good servant. Faith equals trust. It's trusting God. And if you trust God, you will do what he says. Unbelief equals trusting yourself more, which will cause you to not do what he says. If you truly have faith, do what he says. God's will cannot be mixed with your will or it is no longer God's will. can't have just a little bit of Miranda in it. It's either all God or none of God. Just a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. You've got to seek, listen, and obey. And a lot of the heartaches we go through is His mercy taking us through the cycle over and over and over again until we learn to stop putting our hands on the wheel. Once you put your hands in His plans, He takes His hands off of it and waits for you to mess it up enough to take it back when you cry out for help then he takes control and tries all over again the sad thing is is that a lot of the things we go through had we just trusted and listened and did it his way from the beginning we would have reached that destination so quickly i mean i've told a lot of y'all before this situation where god had sent me to the river. Well, I went to the, I went jogging and he told me to go to the river and pray. And I was like, well, it's a nice day. I'm just going to run up ahead and I'll go down over there. And I ran up ahead a ways. And when he was like, go to the river and pray. So I was like, oh, yeah, better get down. So when I start going down there, all of a sudden I'm in a bunch of stinging nettles. And so I'm like, well, I should have went when he told me the first time and couldn't get through the stinging nettles. So I'm like, you know what? It looks better over there. So I went over there to try to go through with sting nettles and briars. So I'm stuck in the stinging nettles. So by the time I finally get through everything, this happens about three or four times where I should have just went straight through but kept trying to do what seemed right and easier to me. It seemed easier to me. And really that's where a lot of our problems come in. 
we're trying to achieve a goal or we're trying to get to a vision or a promise or something, but we keep doing what seems easier to us, what seems like it makes more sense to us. And it's just prolonging the problem because God knows better. Well, after about an hour and a half, two hours of trudging through the woods, trying to get back to the spot that would have taken me five minutes to get to originally, you know, God, I finally sit down and God's like, you know, you could have been here two hours ago. It's like, yeah, I know, I know. And then he gave me a word, which the whole thing was actually a word about something I was about to go through, which did not play out the way it should have and took a lot longer than it should have. So I didn't learn the lesson. But looking back on it, I learned the lesson. So, all right. People want to trust in the limited strength of men rather than the unlimited power of the wisdom of God. Go to Judges 8.22. This is just one verse out of the story of Gideon. Gideon was one of the judges. Danny did a, a sermon not too long ago about, um, I think he was called Recover All, about Gideon. He was a mighty man of valor. He led the Israelites to a great victory. And here we see in 8.22 it says, Then the men of Israel said unto Gideon, Rule thou over us, both thou and thy son, and thy son's son also, for thou hast delivered us from the hand of the Midian. And Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Now the people knew, all of Israel knew that God was king over Israel. He was supposed to be. But they were constantly looking for a man. They were constantly looking for someone. And you'll see this play out a lot. Um, even in churches and denominations, you'll see people, God wants to be king over them. They can have direct access, but they constantly want to look towards a man, and that's where you get these almost occultic followings of denominational leaders, where they have teachings from a man that people will rehearse and recite and read all their books more than they read the Bible. They don't know the Bible. There's parts of the Bible they won't read, but they'll read the teachings of this one man and say, I am a so-and-so after the name of a man. They have a king, but they would rather follow a man. And in Israel, they already had God as king, but they were here, they were begging Gideon, would you be king? You and your son, look, we'll make you king. And Gideon was like, no, 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 God is your king. God, he's going to rule over you. We're not going to rule over you. He said no, but many, many don't say no. Go to Jeremiah 17, 5. Jeremiah 17, 5, it says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm and whose heart departeth from the Lord. For he shall be like a heath in the desert, and shall not see when good cometh. When you trust in the strength of your own arm, or even in another person, when you trust in flesh, when you trust in physical things, you're going to miss God's blessings, because God's going to bring his blessings about in ways that you will not expect. Your wisdom cannot foresee it, only God's. When we trust in the Lord, he will bring those blessings about, but if we don't, we will miss them. But shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land, and not inhabit it. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, whose hope the Lord is, for he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, 
and that spreadeth out her roots by the river and shall not see when heat cometh. So when you trust in the Lord, God is going to position you in a safe place. He's going to put you in, even in advance of difficult situations. Because this is talking about there's a drought coming, but this tree doesn't even feel it because it was already positioned by the water. So when you trust in the Lord and do what he says, he's going to work things out ahead of the situations. He's going to show you the snares in advance. He's going to position you where the darts of the enemy are going to miss you every time. But her leaf shall be green and shall be careful in the year of drought, which is like a drought. Neither shall cease from yielding fruit and she'll never stop yielding fruit. And the water, of course, is also the word because when you trust in the Lord and you're hearing that word, you're never going to lose that connection. You're going to continue to produce fruit even when other people are not. So you could say like even in the situation where we are today in the church where there really is a spiritual drought and there isn't much fruit being produced, if you will choose to trust in the Lord and put your trust in the Lord, you can still produce that spiritual fruit even when others are not because he will position you and he will be put you by the water. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. You cannot assume to know the heart of a person. You will be deceived. You have to trust in the Lord. And I always tell this to, you know, with young people when, they start wanting to date or start wanting to pursue things on their own. And I'm telling them, you cannot know what is truly in the heart of that person. You better seek the Lord. Trust what he says. Trust what he says. Same thing when you're dealing with ministry, ministry partners, people that you're yoking up with. Any situation, you can be deceived. The devil is the father of all lies and a master deceiver. He will deceive you, but when you seek the Lord and trust the Lord and trust what the Lord is saying, he will prevent the plans of the enemy from playing out. Well, now what he tells you is not going to make sense to the physical eye because you're not going to see it yet because the devil's still working his traps. The drought hasn't manifested yet, but God knows what's coming. So trust what he says, do what he says, and he'll work it out where none of the enemy's plans will work. The Bible says that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. It doesn't say there will be no weapon formed against you. It says that it will not prosper. So the enemy is going to attack. He's going to plan. But if you truly seek the Lord and trust what he says, he will make, make it to where the plans of the enemy don't work out. And that's only going to come when we trust him. So you go through the book of Judges and you get down to the end. And there's Eli. We went through that story. Eli, God kept telling him to, to do this thing and to deal with his children or whatever, and he wouldn't. He kept thinking, I guess it'll work out if I just do it this way. He wasn't trusting the Lord. And so eventually God gets enough and the glory departs. So there is no more God-ruled church and congregation in Israel at this point. We're getting to the end of the time of the judges. Samuel was the last judge of Israel. There was no more after Samuel. Now, 
Eli, the story of Eli, whenever he died, his sons died, the ark was lost, the glory of the Lord departed. This was from a continual succession of people doing what they thought was right, but not obeying to what God said was right. And the glory departed. You see this so rampantly today in the church. Try to say something on Facebook that's scriptural and you'll have a hundred people down there telling you what they think God thinks, what they think the Bible should, what they think is right. You show them something in the Bible. I don't listen to the Bible. Then why are you basing your faith on a religion that was based on a book that you don't believe? Do you understand that is the height of insanity? If you don't believe the word, then why do you claim the God of the word? It makes no sense. But they are making a God of their own creation. But the glory isn't there. God's not in it. The glory has departed because they're doing what is right in their own eyes. God is not king of their heart. God is looking for a people that he can be the king of their heart. The people, most for the most part, are looking for a God who will serve them, their needs, their ideas. God's looking for a people that will serve him, his needs, his ideas. So we come to Samuel, who is the last judge of Israel. And when you come to the end of the book of Judges, this is one of those verses that every time I read it, I feel the Holy Spirit and I feel his heart break. And I think it echoes through the ages. And every time there's a remembrance of this, I think God's heart still breaks. The very last verse of the book of Judges, pull it up, Danny, Judges 21, 25. After judge, after judge, after judge, after judge, after God continuously trying to bring these people back on track and them continuously <coughs> refusing to submit to his will, the very last verse in the book of Judges says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That breaks my heart because I know it breaks God's heart because God was supposed to be king in Israel but there was no king in Israel because every man did what was right in his own eyes they refused to let God be king they wanted God to be savior every time they got in trouble they cried out oh yeah I want him to be savior but I sure don't want him to be king go to 1 Samuel 8 4 and we'll see how the kings came about. In 1 Samuel 8, starting in verse 4, verse 4 says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah, and said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. So they want to be like all the other nations. Make us a king to judge us. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. Of course it displeased Samuel. Samuel was a friend of God. He talked with God. He knew they had a king. God was supposed to be king. And they're crying out for something else, someone else. It displeased Samuel. So Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, 
but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. Another way of saying it is they've rejected me that I should not be king. They don't want God to rule over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even unto this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto thee. Now therefore hearken unto their voice, howbeit yet protest solemnly unto them, and show them the manner of king that shall reign over them. So God's telling him, it's okay, give them what they want. But when you tell them that I'm going to let them have what they want, I want you to explain to them that they're getting what they asked for. And what they asked for is going to be a king that is nothing like me. I've been a good king and I've let them have a lot of peace and a lot of leeway. They had the ability to just seek God and just obey and be in peace and be prosperous. But they wanted a man to rule over them. So he said, this is what you're going to end up with. And it's the consequences of their own decisions. They want to have it their way. They think they're smarter. You think you're smarter? Okay, go ahead and play this out. Let's see how this is going to work. In other words, God was not, though God was giving them what they wanted, he was not in agreement with it. It was not his will. He didn't want it to happen this way. In the same manner that when the Israelites wanted the meat from Egypt, and he said, okay, give them Tell them they're going to get meat till it comes out of their nose and the quails came and then they ate and got sick and died and all that. God sometimes will give you what you ask for if you ask for it enough, but it may not be what you need. It was not God's will for it to play out this way. But because they refused to let God be king, he said, okay, we'll give them a king. But protest because you got to let them know this isn't going to work out the way they think it's going to work out. And Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people that asked of him a king. And he said, This will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots, and to be his horsemen, and some shall run before his chariots. What I see when I read through these passages is I think about people in the church I see this as a parallel of the modern church, really, and it's sad. God is our king. God rules over us. We are all priests. And we have, you know, you have these people sometimes maybe in a little church or maybe in a big church, but they, they're, God is there. The anointing is there. The glory is there. God is moving. But they see that church down the road with the energetic young pastor. Oh, we want a king like, like that nation. In fact, I know a church that did that. Not long after Danny started preaching here, there was a church in the area that decided they wanted a young preacher just like, so they got someone that looked like Danny, that sounded like Danny, but he didn't have the spirit, and he tore that church apart. Give us a king like, why aren't you looking towards God? You're looking towards the physical things. And I think that there are times when people say, you know what, we want to be like that mega church on TV. Well, you know what? God's not moving in that mega church on TV like he really is in that little house church on the corner. Why don't you be satisfied with God and not try to be like the other nations? And so you'll see, he says, okay, well, I'm going to give you what you ask for. And I see this as a parallel even in the church because he's like, you want to be like the other nations? I'm going to show you what the other nations have are dictators. What the other nations have are, are slave masters. You are going to be slaves under these leaders. 
You were all free. You were all equal. You were all serving me. But what you're going to get is a king and you're going to have to go before him and you're going to have to serve him. You're going to have to work for him. You're going to have to draw his his chariots. And I think I see this a lot in some churches also. I want a pastor that looks like the one on TV or the one on the street. And so they get somebody in who's got a lot of ambition, but no anointing and no spirit. So then the congregation becomes slave and subservient to building his kingdom when before the work was for God's kingdom. And so, and he said, this will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself and his chariots for to be his horsemen and some shall run before his chariots and he will appoint him captains over thousands and captains over fifties and will set them to ear his ground and to reap his harvest. That's to plant his seeds and to reap his, his harvest and to make his instruments of war and instruments of his chariots. And he will take your daughters to be confectionaries and to be cooks and to be bakers. See, the people were free to just live their life but serve the Lord. Now they're going to have to serve this king. And he's going to be a harder taskmaster than what God was. And he will take your fields and your vineyards and your olive yards, even the best of them, and give them to his servants. And he will take the tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. In other words, you're going to have to pay a big tithe to him, and he's going to use that to pay for all of the infrastructure that's going to have to be built because you want to be just like these other nations. Do you know what it's going to take to build up the infrastructure of these other nations, it's going to cost you more than you're willing to give. And he will take your men servants and your maid servants and your goodly, your goodliest young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your sheep and ye shall be his servants. And ye shall cry out in that day because of your king, which ye shall have chosen you. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. And I see this as a, as a parallel also in the church today that some people, once they've gotten themselves into this mess and they're, they've got a bad pastor and they're crying out to God. And you think, well, even us crying out about some of the things we see in local churches and TV churches and some of these big churches. And you're like, God, why do you let them fleece the people like that? Why do you let them do that? And here's the answer. It's a judgment. He's not going to remove it. It's part of a judgment. He gave them what they asked for. The Bible says he will give them teachers after their own lust. This is what you want. This is what you get. You made your bed. Now you got to lie in it. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And... See, that's a lack of faith. They don't trust. Trusting in their own logic and idea more than in the words of the Lord. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, Nay, but we will have a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations. It's okay. It doesn't matter. We're going to have a big megachurch, and we're going to be just like the ones on TV. It doesn't matter as long as we've got that notoriety. And that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And this is the root of the problem, spiritual laziness. 
I would rather sit under a dictator as long as I don't have to actually go out and fight those battles myself. And Samuel heard all the words of the people and he rehearsed them in the ears of the Lord. So he went back and told God, which God already knows, so it's kind of just a rehearsal. (laughs) And the Lord said to Samuel, hearken unto their voice and make them a king. And now notice, make them a king. In other words, this was not ordained. This was not meant to be. He said, we're going to give them what they want. All right, so they said, give us a king, a man to rule over us like everyone else. Why do you want to be like everyone else, Israel? Everyone else is already being destroyed. They're heathenistic. They're killing their children. Everywhere else is a horrible place. God is trying to make you something greater, something bigger, something better. Why do you want to be like everyone else, church, when you've already got better, when he wants to make you something better than what everyone else is? I think Einstein made a quote, something to the effect of, if you follow the crowd, you'll only ever go as far as the crowd. But God can go farther than the crowd. You don't want to be just like everyone else. You want to be the example that proves that God can do better than what is. God wanted them to change the nations, not become become the nations. Right? If that was the case, then he could have just let Moses become Pharaoh in Egypt. And then the people would have been free. He didn't want Moses to be the Pharaoh in Egypt. He wanted Moses out of Egypt. He wanted Egypt out of the Israelites so he could create something better, something different, something set apart. That's right. And the problem with the world today is that the church wants to conform to the world instead of transforming the the world. And so instead of the church winning the world, the world has won the church because the church says, I want to be like the world. I want to look like a rock concert. I want to be like a club. I want to be like that thing over there. There should be a separation if you are truly following the voice of God or are you just trying to be like everyone else. Denominations and movements built on men all fall into this category. Even cults fall into this category when people are following men. As long as I don't have to actually go through the work that it takes to be a servant and a priest of the Lord, if I don't have to sac- if I don't have to fight the battles Give me a king. That's fine. Just put somebody over me. As long as I can come and and hoop and holler and sit on a pew and they can say a few fancy words from a platform and and I don't actually have to go out and fast and pray and minister to the sick and, and bathe the homeless and do all of these things that it takes to be an actual Christian and follower of Christ to pick up your cross and follow him. That's okay. Just give me a king just like all the other churches. I'm good. That's what it's saying. So... First, God let them choose. They wanted a king. They wanted a specific type of king. So God let them choose. He gave them exactly what they wanted in Saul. Then God picked one for them when he called David. So first they get what they wanted, and then God picks one for them. Again, still delivering. Still delivering. The man they were looking for was Saul. Remember it says that Saul stood head and shoulders above all the rest. He was a man of high stature. God knows the heart. And it's just proving the point that we cannot assume to know. 
Because if you met Saul in the early years, you would think, man, this guy would make an amazing king. He's so humble. He's you so read, awesome. You read about him early on, you're like, he's a pretty stand-up guy. Only God knows the heart. And that's why you have to trust God's wisdom over yours. So the man they were looking for, because you think about it at this time period, the leaders of these other nations were typically those of the the Nephilim and the Raphaim bloodline. They were giants. They were tall. They, had, they were men of great stature, men of renown, the mighty men. So they want a king like everybody else. So the first king they get is the one that stands head and shoulders above everybody else. Okay, they got them a, a nice big statured, high statured king also. But the man God was looking for was a man of low stature. It was a little boy in a field. Even though what they were looking for was a man of high stature, God gave them a man of low stature. But eventually, God actually grants their wishes while getting what he wanted also through the man Jesus. They get a man as king, and God reigns as king in one move. But they still reject him. Go to John 19, 14. And sadly enough, like Danny said last week in his sermon about you know, when David sought the will of the people and then a man died trying to stabilize the court and the next time he sought God's will, sometimes that's what it takes. It takes going through a traumatic situation where like in Judas's case, here's a man that dies and betrays Jesus before they really get the lesson that, you know what, we can't determine the hearts of men. We've got to seek God on this. We've got to trust what he says. So they wanted a man as king. God wanted to be their king. So eventually he sends Jesus. Here's a man who can be your king and God in the flesh that he can be the king. We can both get what we want. But they still reject him. And this is another one of those verses that just pierces you to the heart. In John 19, 14, it says, And it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour... And he saith unto the Jews, Behold, your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answereth, We have no king but Caesar. You let that sink in for a minute. We have no king but Caesar. They've been crying out for hundreds of years, give us a king. Here is their king. And even the Roman acknowledges him and fights for him as their king. And they reject him for Caesar. They want to be ruled by a man. Rather it be by rejecting God, God's words, or God's choice, most people choose self-will and reject God's will. God is still looking to replace Shiloh in its glory. Remember, Shiloh was the last church in the time of Judges where the glory departed. The last time that God was king and he ruled a congregation was Shiloh, and God has been looking to replace Shiloh in its glory, but people... Just keep recreating its shame. Go to Jeremiah 7. 
the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all ye of Judah, that enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Trust ye not in lying words, saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, or these. For if ye thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if ye thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor... If ye oppress not the stranger and the fatherless and the widow and shed not innocent blood in this place, neither walk after other gods to your hurt. So when you don't do the will of God, it is going to cause you to be hurt. It's going to, the consequences of that are going to always be detrimental to you. Not because God causes it, but because he is love and his will for you is good. And so if you obey his will, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things that you really want and desire will be added unto you. His will for you is good to give you an expected end. But if you don't do his will, then you're going to walk into the devil's trap. So it's going to be to your hurt. Then will I cause you to dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Behold, ye trust in lying words that cannot profit. If it's not coming from God, it will not work. It's a lie. It's coming from the devil who is the father of lies. Even if it seems to be coming from yourself, it's not. Will ye steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and burn incense unto Baal, and walk after other gods whom ye know not? And come and stand before me in this house which is called by my name and say, We are delivered to do all these abominations. Let me translate that. Go out and commit sin and then come and stand in the church before God and say, We're covered by grace. We've been set free so that we can sin and not go to hell for it. That's literally what he is saying. Is this house which is called by my name become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. But go ye now unto my place, which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first, and see what I did to it for the wickedness of my people. You think I'm going to tolerate this, God is saying? You think I'm going to tolerate you sinning and coming into my church, professing my name, claiming my name, sinning in my name, and saying that I excuse it and that it's okay that you're delivered to be able to do these things? Go and see what I did to Shiloh when my glory departed, when the enemy came in and destroyed it. Go and look and see what I did. And now because ye have done all these works, saith the Lord, and I spake unto you, rising up early and speaking, but ye heard not, and I called you, but ye answered not. Therefore will I do unto this house, which is called by my name, wherein ye trust, and unto the place which I gave to you and to your fathers as I have done to Shiloh. Which we covered this verse before, which shows that what happened in Shiloh was not a one-time thing. It's an every-time thing. Every time a church does what Shiloh does, this is what God does. 
When you trust in your own logic, when you trust in your own ideas, when you trust and you create a God of your own making, when you do what you want to do that contradicts what God says to do, he will do unto you as he did to Shiloh. He will write Ichabod, the glory will depart. He will turn it over to the enemy. Therefore will I do unto this house, which is called by my name, wherein ye trust, and unto the place which I gave unto your fathers, as I have done to Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight, as I have cast out all your brethren, even the whole seed of Ephraim. Therefore pray not thou for this people, neither lift up a cry nor prayer for them, neither make intercession to me, for I will not hear thee. Even the intercessor cannot save you now is what God is saying. That is a very bad place to be. Seest thou not what they do in this city of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood and the fathers kindle the wood and the women knead the dough to make cakes to the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto other gods, making cakes to the queen of heaven that they may provoke me to anger. Do ye provoke me to anger, saith the Lord? Do they not provoke themselves to the confusion of their own faces? Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, mine anger and my fury shall be poured out upon this place, upon man and upon beast, and upon the trees of the field, and upon the fruit of the ground, and it shall burn and shall not be quenched. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, put your burnt offerings unto your sacrifices and eat flesh. This is interesting. In other words, put away your burnt offerings. I don't want to see it. Eat the flesh. I don't care. Turn it to the next verse. This is what he's saying. For I spake not unto your fathers, nor commanded them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. But this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God. And ye shall be my people, and walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well with you. He's saying, I don't care about your burnt offerings. I don't care about all these things that you are going through these rituals to do. I don't care about your profession. I told you from the beginning, Obey my voice, and you will be my people. When I told, basically when he told them to do the sacrifices and offerings, that was an obedience to the voice that he was speaking at that time. Continuing to do it and thinking that they were going to get something out of it wasn't going to do anything. He's saying, obey my voice. Do what I'm telling you to do now. Not what I told you to do 200 years ago. Do what I am speaking to you now. And there's a lot of people in a lot of churches that fall under the categories of those mentioned in this passage that are still going through rituals, that are still making professions, that are still doing things that amount to nothing in the eyes of God because he's saying from the beginning, I just told you, if you will hear my voice and obey, just do what I say, not what you think or not what you want. And then I will be your God. Why? Because then he will be king. I'm not going to continue, but you can continue to read the rest of this chapter. I recommend that you do because it's just as heart-wrenching all the way through. 
Many churches do these things today because they are following the words of the men that they have made their king rather than God's words. They're listening to what people are saying, what people are telling them, what people have written over what God has spoken, over what God is speaking, over what has been written. The first group he identifies here literally said that they could not lose their salvation, that their favor with God would keep them even in their sin. And God said, no, look at what I did to Shiloh. The second group baked cakes and laid them before the queen of heaven. God saw this as worship and said that it provoked him to anger. There is a major denomination that still does this today because they are following the words of a man that they have made their king instead of seeking and hearing and serving the voice of God himself. It doesn't matter what men tell you. It doesn't matter what men say. If you make them your king, you will perish. What matters is what God says. It says, the Bible says that only the righteous will enter the kingdom of heaven. Without righteousness, no man shall see the Lord. Righteousness is right standing with God. To be in right standing with God, you have to do what he says is right, not what you think is right, not what somebody else tells you is right, not your own righteousness, not the righteousness of your denominational leader, God's righteousness, what he says is right to obey his voice, his words. The queen of heaven was a title given to Samarimus, known in the Hebrews and in scripture as Asherah. She is the female consort of Baal. It is Baal worship. Give you a little, just a quick little idea of how demonic this entity is and how evil and how detestable it was to God and still is and why it provokes him to anger that people did this and still do it today. Because if you remember in the story of Jezebel, the reason she was hunting and killing God's true servants and setting up her fake priest was because she was a priestess of Astra, this same entity, the queen of heaven. Her father was a priest of Baal. She was in Baal worship. She was setting up priest, counterfeit priest in the kingdom of God and killing off the real priest, the priest of God. The people that worship this thing have always hunted the true Christians, the true priests of God. This, this, this queen of heaven has had many names in different cultures. In Egypt, it was Isis, which not coincidentally, the terror group by that same name, Isis, today is still cutting the heads off of Christians. Um, in, in Roman cultures, it was Diana. You'll remember in the New Testament that the disciples were almost killed and many Christians were killed in the name of Diana because the people said that they would stop the worship of Diana by converting people to Christianity. Throughout history, from Old Testament to Revelations, are hunted and killed and slaughtered and the true God is put down and this false thing rises up in its place. This thing provokes God to anger. It is Baal worship. It's a false king or in this case queen. But the queen is associated with Baal which is her king. They are connected together and it goes way, way, way back. In fact, throughout the Old Testament, every time you see the, the Bible talking about the high places where Baal was worshipped or the high places where the Asheroth was set up, these were all set up to worship this same entity that continually caused the people of God to sin and to fall away. That's why over and over and over you would see 
the nation of Israel falling into sin and setting up Baal worship and Asherahs. And then God would allow the enemy to come in and to destroy them. They cry out to God. You go back into this same cycle over and over and over and over again. And then you once in a while get a good king who would do what? Like, for example, Josiah, the eight-year-old king who opened up the scriptures. They found the scriptures while renovating a temple. And he opened up the Bible and he read it and he believed it. And it caused him to go and tear down all of the high places and the groves. These were the places where this queen of heaven was being worshipped. Why? Because he believed the word of God. He made God king and obeyed him in the face of the teachings of his father and of his people and of his nations. It didn't matter who had taught him. It didn't matter who had laid these things down. It didn't matter what else he saw and what he read. He wasn't going to give those things the throne of his heart. He gave God and his word the throne of his heart. And he said, yes, I see it. I hear it. I believe it. I will obey it. And he turned the nation around because of it. Make God the king. Many that call themselves Christians today are deceived into provoking God to anger by following the teachings of the men that they have made king instead of God. They follow these people's words and not God's. They do what is right in their own eyes and not what God has said is right. Therefore, he will do unto them as he did to Shiloh, Ichabob. They have chosen their king and God will not share his glory with another. And you cannot serve two masters. So choose ye this day whom you will serve. There can only be one king in your heart. A heart divided will not stand. A kingdom divided, Jesus himself said, will not stand. Give him the rule of your heart. Make him the king. He will not share his throne. But God is looking for a priesthood and a people who will make him king who will let him rule them, who will trust and obey what he says to their good. Make him the king of your heart and his glory will rest on you and your life. Make him the king of your church and his glory will rest on you and your church. Make him king. Make yourself, your will, your logic, anyone or anything else king and the glory will depart. And curses, wrath, and judgment will take their place. So dethrone your doctrine, your denomination, your idols, your job, your kids, your spouse, your logic, your pride, your desires, your possessions, your finances, your plans, your will, and put God on the throne of your heart in all areas. He's looking for someone who will let him lead so that he can show the world that the things that he can lead you to are greater things than you could ever hope to get to on your own. People keep trying to do it themselves. He wants to show the world that he can do greater. He wants to show them the impossible, but he needs someone who's willing to trust what he says. Because before he can show the world that he can do the impossible, he's going to have to lead you through the impossible. And you're not going to be able to do that in your own wisdom. You've got to trust him. The devil is going to trip you up and set traps before you unless you learn to do what he says, even if it doesn't make sense. And to not make decisions, but to seek him for his wisdom. Romans 8, 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they 
or the sons of God. Remember in the last passage, Jeremiah, when he spoke from Jeremiah, he said, if you will obey my voice, then I will be your God and you will be my people. In Romans 8, 14, it says that those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Jesus said that not those who say, Lord, Lord, not those who make a profession, but those who do the will of the Father are the ones who will enter the kingdom. How do you do the will of the Father? You obey His voice. You seek, you listen, and you obey. Those who obey God's voice or His children or His people, they are the ones that enter in. It's what it's always been. It's what it always will be. Jesus' blood makes an atonement for us so that we can receive the Holy Spirit so that we can hear that instruction, so that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. But once you get before the throne of grace, you've got to listen to what he's saying there. You've got to hear it and obey it. Jesus stands at the door and knocks, but you've got to be willing to let him come in and sit and sup with you. And then what he tells you while he's supping with you, you've got to obey. You've got to follow what he says. I often think about Moses, the detailed instructions that God gave Moses to build the tabernacle (laughs) to the inch, to the type of material, to the degree of everything that he laid out. And if Moses would not have followed those instructions exactly, he would not have built something that God would have been able to indwell. If you want the presence of God to indwell your ministry, you've got to follow his instructions to the letter. If you want God to indwell your situation or whatever it is you're praying for, your life, your family, your your whatever it is, you've got to follow his instructions to the letter. In the end, God will be worshipped as king by all. Some to fear and trembling and some to rejoicing and adoration. But he will be recognized as the king that he is and always was and always will be. Go to Revelations 19.11. Revelations 19.11 says, And I saw the heavens opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron." And he treadeth the winepresses of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And all of these people that through all of these ages have looked for a king in a man, they will stand before the King of kings and tremble. Because all the while he was just asking, make me king. He's coming as king regardless. Make him king of your heart now and you'll rejoice when your king comes. But for those who refused to give him the throne of their heart, they're going to fear and tremble and cry out when the real king comes because they're going to realize they've been bending the knee to the wrong king. To bring it back to closing, for us, if you want to see 
God move in impossible ways, just make him king. Because you're never going to see the power of the kingdom unless you're serving the king. And if you're faithfully serving the king and doing what the king says, he will give the power of the kingdom to back up what he's asked you to do. Get in alignment with God's will. Seek him, get his will, get his word, and walk that will out. And he will bring all the powers of heaven to walk that thing out. Even if he's got to cause miracles to make it happen, you're going to walk in the midst of those miracles because he will bring his word about. He's not a man that he should lie. He has all power and all authority. He's already defeated the enemy. He's already won the war. It's a battle. He is a king of a kingdom, of a greater kingdom. And he wants us to worship him as king. He wants us to listen to his voice and trust him and let him rule our hearts and our lives. And then he will back that up and empower that with, with greater things. But people keep trusting in themselves. And that's why you don't see the moves of the greater things. That's why you don't see the kingdom of heaven manifested. God wants a demonstration of the kingdom of heaven because that's what builds faith. When you see deliverance, you know there is a greater power in the authority of this kingdom than in the kingdom of the devil. When you see a healing, you know there is a greater authority and power in the kingdom of God. When you see a miracle, when you see a salvation, these things are demonstrations of the power of the greatness of the kingdom of God over the defeated kingdom of the enemy. But people are walking in defeat because when you make man your king, when you make flesh your strength, when you make denominations your ruler, you are choosing to serve Satan because any king that is not God ultimately is a trick of the enemy. You're going, if you're serving flesh, if you're serving man, even if you're serving your own logic, you're doing the devil's will. Because ultimately there's God's will, God's plan, and then anything that deviates from it is the devil's plan. And if you're not walking in God's plan, your free will is the choice to choose God's plan. Choose ye this day whom you will serve. You're either the servant of God or you're the servant of sin. You're the servant of self, which is still sin. But if you will choose to seek the Lord, trust his voice, and just do what he says, even though it doesn't make any sense to you, trust him. It will work out in impossible ways, and he will bring his plan about. If you don't, you'll end up going in circles in the wilderness until you learn how, or until you die, or until you get used of the enemy to cause others to die. Ultimately, that's how it works. So, tonight, I invite you to make God your king. He's a good father. He's a savior. He's our friend. But if you want to see the power of the kingdom, you need to know him as king. Thank you for listening to Heart of Worship Church podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.